Lord Jesus Christ, you prayed for us that we might all be one as you and the Father are one. Help us to work through our divisions and hold fast to that which we hold in common, that we might become your beloved community. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Last Sunday, I preached about how having the incarnation of Jesus at our center makes us distinctive as Anglicans. The core conviction that Jesus, the Son of God, lived and died a human life influences how we view creation, mystery, and ourselves. Several people mentioned that they found it to be helpful in understanding who we are as Episcopalians. So if you missed the sermon last week, do go back and read or listen to it. Today's sermon is the counterbalancing corrective to that sermon. While it is true that Anglicanism has its own distinct heritage, flavor, gifts, and flaws, Anglicanism is nothing compared to the body of Christ. As much as I enjoyed being in England last summer, as proud as I am of what the Episcopal Church strives to be, as glad as I am to be in this tradition, our denominational and theological distinctiveness amounts to nothing compared to what we have in common as followers of Jesus at best. And at worst, too much focus on our distinctiveness can lead to division instead of unity and idolatry instead of genuine faith. Again, I stand by everything that I said last Sunday. Just don't take that to be the final word on what our identity is. Because ultimately, we are not Episcopalian, or Protestant, or Catholic, or any other label. No, we are in Christ. And this emphasis and prayer for unity is at the heart of Jesus' mission as he prayed that we might all be one. He tells us that he longs to be like a mother hen, gathering all of the chicks under her protective wings. Unity does not mean we have to give anything up. Rather, unity is about becoming more fully who we were made to be. And this bias towards unity is a part of our Anglican tradition. Rooted in Anglicanism's inclination towards common prayer is a desire that we all be one. There's a document that was adopted by the Episcopal House of Bishops in 1886, and then by all bishops in the Anglican Communion around the world at a conference at Lambeth Palace in London in 1888. The statement is known as the Chicago Lambeth quadrilateral. It's one of those historical documents that you can find in the back of the prayer book. And I want to read one section of it because it tells us as Anglicans what our priority is when it comes to Christian unity. That in all things of human ordering or human choice relating to modes of worship and discipline or to traditional customs, this church is ready in the spirit of love and humility to forego all preferences of her own. 
In other words, all those things that make us distinctively Anglican, our Book of Common Prayer, our Constitution and Canons, our preferences for how things ought to be done, should be things that we are ready and willing to give up for the sake of Christian unity. Now, I will admit, as someone who generally thinks that my way is the best way, those laughs are a little bit too knowing, this can be a challenging proposition. But Christ's prayer that we all be one is more important than me having things the way I would prefer. And so you might wonder, why then are we here? Why has the Episcopal Church not ceased to be and joined another denomination? Why don't we just close up St. Luke's and go join Soldiers Memorial, or Sacred Heart, or Life Church? Well, the quadrilateral, as you might guess by its name, has four parts that outline what would be necessary for such Christian unity. And it refers to these foundational aspects of our faith as sacred deposits, things that we have received from the apostles and which are the only foundation strong enough to hold the diversity of the church together in a beloved community. And these four things, they're all connected to baptism, as we will see. And these four things are, one, that the holy scriptures of the Old and New Testaments are the rule and ultimate standard of our faith. This means that we do not get to make up our own theology because we are grounded in a faith that has been received. As we heard in Psalm 29, the voice of the Lord is a powerful voice, a voice of splendor. Well, Scripture is where that voice is recorded for us to hear in our own day. And most Christians do agree on this point. Now, we might not agree on the interpretation of Scripture, but we all agree on its importance. And embedded within this point is another one that unites all Christians together, the message of grace. Just as we do not earn our salvation, we do not create our own tradition. We receive it. Baptism, you can think of it like a bath. It's about the ritual washing away of sins. Baptism reminds us that the message of Scripture is a message of grace, that we are forgiven because of God's mercy not because of our contrition or deserving. Two, that the creed is the sufficient statement of the Christian faith. Now, this does not mean that the creed tells the whole story, but it covers all of the essentials. Is looking at a baseball box score the same thing as going to the game and watching it? No, but if you read the box score, you understand what happens in the game this is a point, sadly, where not, we don't have as much unity as we pray for. Because some Christians reject the creed as being incomplete or antiquated or restrictive. Others, they affirm the creed, but they would not call it sufficient because they add all sorts of other doctrines, confessions, and rules to faith. And this claim about the creed, it maps on to baptism, which we heard about in the reading from Mark. The baptism of Jesus includes the presence of the Father, Son, and Spirit, just like the Creed does. And baptism is what unites Christians, because at its most basic level, baptism is the entrance and initiation into faith. We say that Christians are those who are in Christ, 
And baptism is how the in of that equation works. The creed then tells us what is the shape of this faith that baptism brings us into. And of course, baptism unites us to the death and resurrection of Jesus, which the creed focuses on. Third, that the sacraments of baptism and Eucharist are central. We've just seen how baptism is entrance into the faith. And as one theologian has put it, the church makes the Eucharist and the Eucharist makes the church. The Eucharist is that meal that we share together that is meant to nourish the faithful and support our growth in Christ. Again, sadly, not all Christians can agree on this point, and it makes unity difficult. Some traditions only allow their members to participate in communion, and there are other traditions that rarely celebrate the feast of beloved community. Now, questions about whether or not we use grape juice or wine, that's irrelevant. But when Christians refuse to share in the Lord's Supper together, well, that tells us just how far we have to go in pursuing unity. Now, of course, what animates all of the sacraments is the Holy Spirit, who blesses and sanctifies. The Spirit makes the water of baptism become the waters of new birth, just as the bread and the wine become the bread of heaven and the cup of salvation. It is as we heard St. Paul ask in the book of Acts, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you became believers? Because the Holy Spirit is one of those things that unites all followers of Jesus. As we know from Ephesians, there is one body and one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. And this oneness of our faith comes from the fact that there is one spirit that animates, blesses, comforts, strengthens, and inspires us all. The Baptists do not have their own Holy Spirit, and the Pentecostals another, and us Episcopalians another one. Of course not. There's one Spirit that gives life to us all, which is gifted in baptism and blesses our table fellowship in Jesus' name. Baptism is often referred to as our new birth, or being born again, as we receive this new life as a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's what the dove at Jesus' baptism is meant to remind us of. The dove that left Noah's ark was a sign of a renewed creation. Well, so the Holy Spirit guides us into being in this world newly, full of wonder, gratitude, and love. And fourth is the historic episcopate, locally adapted. And the word episcopate, you might notice, is related to the name of our denomination, Episcopal. Both come from a Greek word that means overseer or bishop. We call ourselves Episcopalians because it is the bishop who symbolizes our unity and our connection to the faith of the apostles. All of the historic churches, Orthodox, Roman Catholic, and Anglican, have had bishops since the very beginning, and that provides us with a structural connection to the faith of the apostles. Bishops, when they are living into their calling, are supposed to unite us and guard us in the faith. Bishops are supposed to protect the integrity of the faith by ensuring what the church teaches and stands for is in accordance with these other three points, 
that we remain grounded in Scripture, that the creed is central, that baptism and Eucharist are at our center. Bishops keep us united one to another and grounded in a commonly held faith instead of each congregation deciding what they will believe. Sadly, many denominations have done away with bishops, or they have bishops who function only as administrators and not spiritual guides. Too many churches are congregationalist in nature, where each church is an island unto itself. Now, yes, there are certainly abuses that come from having bishops, but that's simply a fact because we are a church made up of sinners. But a viable path to unity is not everyone for themselves. As we heard in Genesis, we are all made from the same stuff, by the same creator. And what is clear in the story of creation is that there's an order to things. This sense of order and the connection to what came before is what the episcopate is intended to give us. It's why true unity depends on something bigger than ourselves, just as baptism is about incorporation into something bigger than ourselves, the body of Christ. These four things are more foundational than any denominational preference or structure. And these points of unity are the only thing a church really needs. So not only did I want to offer this counterbalance to last Sunday's sermon on Anglican distinctiveness, but I also want to, on this Sunday, in which we celebrate the baptism of Jesus, offer a reflection about the meaning of baptism as something that undergirds our identity and unity with all Christians. Baptism, regardless of our tradition, is about the forgiveness of sins, union with Christ, new life in the Spirit, and our birth into the body of Christ. And these four aspects of our faith are what the quadrilateral are all about. Scripture, creed, sacraments, and bishops. This is something that all Christians share in common. If we could just focus on our baptismal unity, instead of all of those other distractions, divisions, and desires that pull us apart from one another, when we think about our fellow Christians, there certainly are a lot of things to divide us. We worship differently. We have different interpretations of Scripture. We include and exclude different people. Our clergy wear different kinds of clothing. We sing different styles of music. Sometimes we even vote differently. We have different missional priorities. And we could choose to let those differences divide us and be a sign that the body of Christ is broken. We say that scripture, the creeds, the sacraments, and bishops are foundational, and yet our desire to be in control and to have our own preferences makes it seem to the world, but also to ourselves, that these things are not as strong as we say they are, because they do not seem to be holding the church together very well. Now, I am not at all suggesting that we should tolerate injustice, exclusion, abuse, or heresy in the name of all getting along and being united. That would not be any better witness than our division is. But might we focus more on the foundation of our baptism 
on the things that we share in common, on fostering a beloved community across denominations so that we can invite others outside the church to come and see. Elsewhere in the quadrilateral, it reads, Deeply grieved by the sad divisions which affect the Christian church in our own land, we hereby declare our desire and readiness to enter into conference with all and any Christian bodies seeking unity. Jesus, on the night before he died for us, prayed, that we all might be one. By the guidance, grace, and wisdom of the Spirit, we join our prayer with that of our Lord as we resolve to pursue beloved community among all Christians so that one day we might all be one. <laughs>